This episode is a continuation of Season 2, Episode 9. Estimates today. Tim Holland and Matt Perrin join Daniel and me to discuss the history, current state, and future state of patient estimates. We had some good laughs that caused us to go into a second episode. Please join us in Episode 10, Estimates Today, Part 2. And we're back. All right. So I've heard about RTE, about getting eligibility information, but I've also heard about benefit collection. And for our listeners, what is benefit collection? Is that where we're like restoring RTE data? Is it something else? Like, how does this fit into the picture? Matt, do you want to start yeah, us out? I'll start here. It sounds good. Yeah. After you've got all that information and I think I called it a dance with the devil before. I've never called it that, but you know, we'll, we'll go with that for now. Um, after you've got all that information back from your real-time eligibility vendor, you got to figure out where to put it, right? Like it's, it's great that, you know, typically an RTE response just sort of comes back and you can see it as part of like free text information. And that's well and good. But one, you know, in that like free text field in the response, you have the ability to order it differently. And so how do you flow some of the stuff that's more important to the top stuff that, you know, users have to look at each time, like maybe the, you know, general benefits or like I said, radiology benefits, stuff like that, that you're going to look at, you know, 75% of the time versus some of those specialty benefits that maybe are only applicable in very specific certain uh, scenarios. So there's that part of it, you know, like how do you just make it as user-friendly as possible? Um, I think there's some good, you know, standard tools for being able to do that within an EHR. But then the real, the real key is like, okay, now we've got it. Now we got to file it, right? Like the, the system needs it filed discreetly so that, you know, I can base my estimate off of it, or if a user is going to look for it, you know, I can, it'll flow into these fields discreetly. I can display it discreetly. I can write rules, write all, do all the things that you need to do within an EHR to be able to, to um, you know, utilize that data appropriately. So that's, I mean, I think the big thing, it's kind of the next step, like we're getting it back. Now we got to pull it somewhere. That makes sense. You're going to hear me nerd out a little bit on that. So what's really cool about benefit collection is you can create uh, areas or sections of the field that will specifically pull back discrete information from a service net code. So going back to what Matt was talking about earlier about specifically pulling back MRI or CT benefits, I can designate a spot within benefit collection specifically for that service type uh, that is independent of the general deductible out-of-pocket and co-insurance, for example. Then uh, that information would feed into the estimate and if you would start talking about automation and how you can kind of get things going from like the estimate side of the world where you taking the user error out of it and making the computer do most of the heavy lifting, I can build a template for that MRI, force that template to look at the MRI CT service code, which forces the estimate to go back and pull that discrete information from that benefit collection field. And it starts to process the estimate all without a user's interaction that they can just review the end product and then convey that end product over to the patient. That, that to me is where the technology gets really, really cool. And just like, I'm trying to think through, through the process here. So we've, we've talked about RT, getting that initial information, putting in a benefit collection. We've also talked about like the, getting the various charge data, contract data to pull in. Like what, conversations like when you're when you're stepping in with a client to talk about like an estimate what is the the finished product look like and how are we distribute like what are the strategies that you're talking about to get that to the patient tim like where, where would you start that conversation are there any like paths that are you find to be more successful than others 
Yeah, so finished product, I mean, there's a couple of different things. You're going to have have an estimate look actually within Epic. So it's gonna, you're going to be able to see the actual charge and the contracted allowable from that charge or that CPT and then what the patient liability is. And, you know, you could start going into a lot of detail around, like, you know, how it's calculated with the benefit collection bit. But in, an, in addition to that, the estimate tool has the ability to generate a estimate letter. Um, and so the, one of the first things that I like to make sure that we have, uh, you know, understanding around is like, okay, what is this estimate letter going to look like? Do we have the appropriate language on the estimate that, that makes us NSA and price transparency and things compliant? And is that estimate letter consistent across your organization? Do you have just a couple of options you can kind of like, you know, fill in the information on this letter and then send it out? The next part of the conversation then becomes, how do you get that letter to the patient? So you've got a couple of options there as well. If they've got a my chart, you can send it to my chart uh, electronically. And as soon as you finalize the estimate, patients have the estimate within like microseconds. Um, you can also uh, mail the letter uh, to the patient, and you can also, you know, contact the patient via phone call. Then this is all dependent upon this individual health system's processes, et cetera. Uh, but call the patient, talk through the estimate, uh, and then, you know, email the PDF over to them. There's a million different ways to get it to them, but it's all going to have the necessary information that you have there. Uh, you're going to want to really nail down what your processes want to look like. Obviously, I'm going to promote um, my chart as much as possible because there are things within my chart that you can then do as a result of having that estimate there, including reviewing it and then paying on it like a prepayment from the estimate. So it, it all becomes very interconnected from an ethic perspective uh, that makes things so much more uh, user-friendly from the patient's perspective to, to really make it a, a I wouldn't say a fun experience, but at least an easy experience for patients. I mean, nobody's going to like paying the money, unfortunately, but, you know, it's, at least it's an easy experience for, you know, your patient population who is becoming more and more millennial and Gen Z, et cetera. And then thinking about just like the, okay, like we've got to the patient, uh, we're, we're following up on it. Are there any like tools or just thinking about this, like, how do we track the success of estimates? I know you mentioned that uh, there's like various maybe metrics in Epic or other EMRs to say like, we're within 50 bucks or we're within hundred bucks or whatnot. But um, is there like a team in place that like is tracking that? Are there um, like, like what, what's your maintenance plan or just like your overall strategy for like keeping, a, keeping an eye on this? Maybe, Matt, I don't know well, if you have that or is Tim. Uh, <laughs> Matt's probably got the technical and I've got the ops, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, so... Uh, I've, 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 oh, go ahead, Tim. <laughs> so, um, you know, Epic's got a lot of dashboards that, that if set up correctly, and, and typically the out-of-the-box dashboards that will track your estimates. One thing about tracking estimate accuracy, you're typically looking months behind uh, for that accuracy number. So I'm going to give you an estimate that's in advance of service, but I'm not going to know if that estimate is, is accurate or not until after the claim adjudicates, right? So you're talking about a month, month and a half at least before you start seeing those type of results uh, come in. So typically the time frame is to look about two to three months back, determine like, okay, I have estimate A and then claim A, was this in the same ballpark, yes or no? Uh, and then Epic can take that data and then like place it into a chart or a graph uh, and, and really show you, you know, where you're successful and where you're not. Where it becomes very important to have a team is to start 
uh, pulling together different subject matter experts, typically at a higher level, um, to start reviewing the um, you know outliers that you have there. Okay, what are the outliers? What services do you have in those outliers? Why were they an outlier? Was it because something was wrong with the charge? Something was wrong with the allowable, which is the contract hit, or something didn't function correctly when it came to calculating the, the what the patient responsibility was? And once you kind of zero in on what that reason was, then you can go back and start to correct things <clears throat> retroactively um, in Epic. Sometimes that gets a little more difficult because, um, especially with like surgery estimates, uh, I'm going to estimate uh, for a knee replacement that goes uh, exactly right 100% of the time. What I can't account for, and thankfully we have this in the estimate language on the letter typically for the patient, is if the patient has a, another emergency while they're on the, the OR table, right? Uh, that's going to add a whole nother litany of charges that was not included in the initial estimate, and that's going to be one of those outliers. So you're going to have those situations as well that you just frankly are never going to be able to account for because you can't predict the future. Um, but for those cases that do go you know, exactly right, uh, or a uh, surgical estimate that you're having to do historical, uh, Dr. Holland likes to use this particular knee replacement product 98% of the time, and these are the charges that he typically sees from a historical perspective 98% of the time, I can very confidently say that we're going to be in the ballpark from this perspective. So it sounds like the out-of-the-box tools or reports or types of products that we have are, are pretty good and get us maybe yeah. maybe 98% of the way there for, for what is that uh, looking like what we need, 90. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the rest of it is really going to be the team that you put together to, to monitor. And it, it really is something that you have to review on, on a relatively regular basis, uh, both from an accuracy perspective, I would recommend at least quarterly. Uh, and then from a, a charge capture perspective or charge master perspective, uh, every time you make a charge master update, you're going to want to make sure that that update makes it all the way down to the estimate. Um, so that's an annual review typically that you're going to have to do. Same thing with contract and allowables. You're going to have to have that process. So it's, it's very, very beneficial for the organization to have representation from those teams around the table um, at, at the strategic points in time where those things occur to make sure that you remain accurate and you don't ever fall off the cliff. So I think to elaborate a little bit more on the charge master or fee schedule update component of it. Um, so um, where Tim said it annual. So we're now seeing across the industry actually it being a biannual process because more and more mm -hmm. organizations fiscal years are on a different cycle than a calendar, the federal calendar year. So with the, or a, a regular calendar year. So a fiscal year typically might end for a lot of our um, education-based or academic facilities in June with a new July start date. Um, we're seeing them have two pricing increases in the year. So with um, price changes come January with new CPT codes and HICPIC rollouts, and then they do their annual pricing increase. So they have to double check those estimates twice a year versus just once a year. Um, so just for those organizations listening, those are things that you need to consider is, and, and anytime you have a major pricing structure change, so say you did a mid-year, you're on a regular calendar cycle, but you do a mid-year major overhaul to drugs or pharmaceuticals or um, those components of like how what your markup tables might be, you also then have to redo your estimate component of that um, to ensure that it's gonna pull that accuracy in 
um, as well. So just kind of putting that out there for those charge master team members who are listening in or revenue integrity experts, you, you want to make sure you're putting your foot in to estimates throughout the year and that you're an active member of that team. Um, I'm going to take us to a quick break. We're a little ahead of schedule, but I think it's a good place to pause. And we'll be right back. Fine Medical serves a growing base of more than 800 active hospitals and health systems nationwide. Their best practices are hardwired through technology solutions, proven to help hospitals achieve sustainable top performance. Their well-published results include improving financial performance, physician and staff alignment, patient experience, compliance, and patient safety and quality measures. Learn more at VineMedical.com. That's V-Y-N-E Medical.com. And we're back. So um, I have a couple questions and um, kind of that you guys have been sparking my uh, thoughts on it. So they're kind of operational questions, Tim. So I'm going to point them to you, but Matt and Daniel jump in because you guys have a world of experience here as well. So the first is, you know, thinking of like, okay, we have estimates, they're up and running, and I, I and we'll come back to build a little bit more, maybe this ties into build, but, you know, annually, everybody has to update, we get all the new codes from AMA and CMS, and some get sunsetted, and some are brand new coming in. What should organizations be doing when an estimate's already been generated and now all of a sudden a code's no longer valid or new codes need to be added to it because they've expanded it. So how should organizations kind of manage that or Tim, how have you seen, you know, your past organizations doing that? That is one of probably a hundred reasons why I'm such a huge um, proponent of centralized revenue cycle functions uh, because it just makes things like that so much easier to manage and handle. So you've got a, a sunsetted CPT and you're replacing it with the, other, with the other one. Epic is not going to automatically update with the new CPT if it, it has the same procedure. Now, if the order changes, say you have one CPT fall off and another one jump on because the provider decided to get you a CT instead of an MRI, different story, right? But when you have a, a, a CPT that's no longer in use, that Epic's not gonna be able to, to do anything computer-wise about that. So having a central revenue cycle uh, shop and having a very integrated team that can um, very effectively communicate that back to the necessary people um, is key. Um, so typically where I would where I would want to provide input is say, okay, that needs to be communicated, communicated early. Typically you're gonna find out about those types of sunset uh, items pretty far in advance. Um, and then you need to look at any and every um, estimate that you generated for the date of the sunset and after that, and then find a way to work and correct those. That can be done via work queues, via report export, whatever you want to do. I would recommend a work queue personally, um, but find a way to make sure that you're able to uh, adapt to that change operationally um, at or before it's supposed to happen. But again, it goes back to making sure that you have a very uh, streamlined revenue cycle, uh, open lines of communication, and and a work group or work plan to kind of plan through that those types of things. 
Have you seen organizations, just piggybacking on, on that, have you seen organizations in that regard honor, you know, the estimate, the prior estimate and just, you know, take, take a loss on the component of it if a code has fallen off or it, I, I'm just kind of trying to think, you know, a lot of organizations are up to that last minute of annual updates where they're sliding mm -hmm. the build in right around Christmas. And we also see a lot of revenue cycles now start to sh shut down around Christmas time or go skeleton crew because of financial constraints of trying to, you know, hit target, give people time off with their families, but also help reduce, you know, uh, carrying over into the ne next calendar year. Uh, Oh, high APL usage or whatnot. So you're starting to see a lot of those things start to take place. So just kind of trying to think of, you know, operationally, what have you seen? I mean, I've seen stuff from my operational experience um, in that regards. And then I'd love to hear more from Matt, like, are there in, in our current, you know, world of Epic, where we all play more of an expert in that regards, are there current reports or standard build anything that's catching like that ahead of time for people to flag out or is that more of a custom work type of setup so kind of twofold so to answer the first part and then i'll turn it over to matt yeah i would absolutely um have a process in place that would honor uh the previous estimate if, if you if you don't have a good way to to capture or track that stuff in advance um i would recommend if you're going to do that to set up an adjustment code specifically for that that is open and available for a, a certain amount of time and then you kill the adjustment code. Uh, but that way you can carve out what those adjustments are. You can report on that. You can give that up to your, your VP of revenue cycle or your CFO or whoever it might be that wants to see that information. And you know that if this adjustment code was used, assuming that you know people are using the adjustment code for the right reason, um, that this is what this bucket of money is, is meant to represent. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it, I would absolutely honor the adjustment uh, or, or the or the old price if there was a massive change from you know one price to the other. Yeah, related to the, re the reporting or identifying those, you know, not a ton of experience, honestly. To me, I should tell you that, Evan. But I mean, I can think of a couple different ways that you could certainly do it. Whether it's looking at a report, building a work queue. I mean, that stuff is tracked in the system. So being able to write something like that doesn't seem like it'd be like, super challenging. I mean, to Tim's earlier point, it's like how far in advance do we know about stuff like this that's going to change, you know, and how can we get up in front of it so that we can like look at finding all these future estimates where there's where this exists and, you know, print them out on the list and like let's figure out a, a process for following up. So I don't think I've ever created something like that, but I don't think it'd be very hard. I mean, to what Tim said earlier, though, like end of year, whatnot, um, there's like a million priorities. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it's easier just uh, to honor the previous and just move on than trying yep. to trying to tackle all that. Yeah, I think well, a lot of a lot of times it's really from the patient's perspective, the right thing to do. Right. I mean, if, if you're going to want to save face um, as an organization and, and not cause a big splash, which unfortunately you're seeing a lot of these kind of things make the news media reels nowadays, that's probably going to be your safe bet. I, I think it's though the component, you know, if I look at when I've implemented patient estimates or been on the projects with our clients or even pre pre joining Wilshire, it's the component that's missing, right? We all think about like, let's get the estimate accurate, let's do this, but we we don't always take in consideration annual updates or modifications and changes. And, you know, I, I that leads me kind of to my next operational question, you know, what happens with for, or how should organizations approach estimates related to 
the con you know contracted payer plans or health plans be coming and going in having even contract terms modify where you know it might go from percent of charge to a fixed rate or it could even go or vice versa or you know some contracts just get termed but we already quoted it as in network so how are what are some of the operational or build things that are out there that organizations should be leveraging around patients that have received an estimate to be able to kind of capture or target, you know, those preventions of complaints or dissatisfied patients? So I've actually been a part of those types of contract negotiations in the operational days. Uh, uh, side note, it's not fun. I would not recommend it. Um, but, you know, when that happens and you're having a contract dispute with, say, United, um, and you're going out of network on this date or you pass the out of the, the date where you know you have done from in network to out of network and you have not signed the new contract you're still negotiating trying to figure things out um if you know that that date's approaching that your contract's ending um operationally have your ducks in a row in terms of okay what's our what's our payer mix how many uh patients does united represent and i, I should probably stop using the one payer but does this payer represent um uh you know in your organization um, determine how many scheduled services uh, are out there for this particular payer. There needs to be a marketing arm to this as well. You need to get ahead of this and make sure that your patient population is aware of what's going on with your organization, that you are in a networking concern, because I guarantee you that the payer is doing the same thing from their perspective. Um, and then you need to, to, you know, start to develop a plan on how to account for the, any and all estimates that have already been sent out to patients. Um, so that, that's typically pretty easy to build a report around and, and identify that patient mix. Um, and then you just need to operationally sit down and go, okay, here's step one, step two, step three. This is how we're going to address the situation. That At that point, it becomes more of a, uh, a patient and customer service uh, item that you're going to want to review and less of like an epic bill thing, right? I mean, that's, that's just contract negotiations. But yeah, it's, it's setting up a good... Uh, operational plan to account for the inevitability of the contract going, you know, out of date and, and you're negotiating the new one and then setting up, uh, you know, steps and expectations for your associates to take should that date pass uh, and be ready for it in advance. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm, I'm actually helping one of our clients with kind of some contract termination stuff right now. And and estimates was what I brought up, like, wait, are, are we honoring these? Are we not honoring these? What are we going to do? You know, in that regards, um, they had some unique language in, in their contract that allowed uh, for a 90 day out for anything that was pre-scheduled. So, I mean, that those are kind of things that people should consider if your contract manager listening or you know managed care coordination i think it's one of those one of those things of like what are those out terms especially around patients that have a pre-scheduled service and you know um making sure also that you assist your patients with continuity care applications because then we can honor things as in network um still based on if, if we can get it signed off on and, and apply some of those old contract terms at times so um versus treating them out of network or do a single case, even if it if it get, ends up getting termed. Um, so with that, let's lead back into build related type of things or uh, reports and dashboards. Um, 
you know, I, I have a couple of questions. So, you know, hot industry trend now is, um, especially with Epic, uh, Epic clients, um, is having patients be able to run their own estimate. So where, what is kind of your guys' best practice ideas on, you know, patient, self-patient generated estimate and accuracy checking comparison to organizational estimate um, and, and how do you honor or not honor? Because a lot of, I've seen, I've seen lots of patient complaints recently where they self-generated an estimate and they thought that was their true estimate um, versus it coming directly from the organization themselves saying, oh, nope, you missed these components because, you know, it's only as good as what the patient knows. Templates, lock it down as much as you possibly can. Um, but even with your surgeries, right? So you can build a template for a surgery and you can put so many CPTs or, or you know, charges on that particular template. That every time you pull this template, that's what's going to fire. Um, so if they're like going to your shoppable page, for example, I'm, I'm a known patient. I log in, I, I, uh, I log in through my, my chart uh, and I want to run an estimate for, you know, one of my shoppable services that I have out there. Uh, I select the service. Uh, we already, as a my chart, patient, we already know what your uh, insurance is. We know your subscriber ID. We know all the information we need to know to run an actual RTE in the background. Uh, the patient doesn't see that particular part. It happens behind the scenes. Um, but you're able to then take the necessary bits of information uh, from the tiplet, which is going to be the charge and the allowable. Uh, you're going to take the necessary bits of information from the RTE, real-time eligibility for, again, the, the new users. Uh, that is going to bring in the patient liability bits that you need and you're gonna be able to spit out an estimate on the other end. There's never going to be, in my opinion, um, unless AI becomes like a super strong thing here, um, where you can account for a patient selecting the wrong estimate, but you need to have a process in place to be able to very clearly point that out to the patient, right? So, you know, Mr. Evan, you came in and you selected a knee replacement, but I'm sorry, you're having a shoulder replacement today. Uh, that that kind of a conversation needs to happen. You need to be able to very clearly and very accurately describe, describe what's going on and why. And that's honestly the only way you're going to be able to account from it from the customer service perspective. Do you see a lot of patient? Uh, I, I mean, I don't. I see a lot of organizations, you know, still going back, even if patient ran their own estimate and saying, hey, we've generated an estimate for your upcoming surgery or your upcoming procedure. Here's what it is. Um, even if it, 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 if it was patient, you know, self, but is there ability within the systems today that are out there on the market, like Epic to be able to say, Hey, this is what the patient's generating. This is what we're generating. Where are we off and how can we improve patient estimators within like my chart to ensure that they're get even that template gets them closer or that the accuracy of what they're selecting gets them closer. I mean, it's still only as good as them putting in their benefit information, unless it's pulling it directly out of my chart. Right. I mean, if you're a known patient, you're using my chart. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all that information is reportable and you can, you can compare and contrast all that information. You know, you, your, your common thread there is the patient, the medical record number or the, the horror that you're, you're doing this for. So yes, in that situation, you can absolutely get more and more accurate as time goes on. For your shoppable stuff, for your anonymous stuff, no, there's no way. Uh, because it, it's, it's anonymous. There's, there's no common denominator for you to tie that back to, unfortunately. Uh, unless you start to look at like trends of your shoppable estimates and you see um, everybody running the, the wrong MRI 
um, when in reality it's this other MRI. If you, if you can identify that kind of a trend, well, then you can go back and look, okay, how are we describing this estimate on our shoppable page? Um, do I have the wrong name? Is it a confusing name? That our, pa our patient's looking at uh, this MRI because of the placement that this particular template holds on the, on the website versus the other MRI, which may be a couple of lines down and nobody's clicking on it. So you can make like, you know, itty bitty little tweaks like that that could help improve or help better direct patients. But shop, that's, that's about all you're going to be able to do from a shoppable perspective, anonymous shoppable perspective. I remember when, uh, these were all starting to like first be rolled out into your point, uh, not all names are friendly or patient friendly names for <laughs> uh, all the different services. I remember like logging in, like trying to do a little, just test it out. I wanted to see how the, the product worked. And I was like, I have no clue, like what the heck I'm selecting for like all these like various radiology exams, um, stressing the importance of uh, patient friendly names for all these things. Uh, yeah. Having someone review that and take the time to like spell that out uh, is extremely important for the patient experience, yeah. especially because this is... Yeah really ultimately a patient focused like endeavor that we're doing here so <laughs> make sure yeah. you can make it as friendly as possible well and i think, yeah, I think if, that, I'm, if i've got an estimate template i'll go ahead and i'm sorry well i was just going to say and i think that what makes that difficult is where you know on the flip side for charge mat and for your uh your charge master you're wanting to use the medicare short or mid description so that it's accurate for a payer to understand and that when they're looking up the code and that you're leveraging the code correctly so so making sure that you're not using that but you go and use the common name or the um most the the you know the most universal name in that component for a patient or even just putting it in a category being able to say these are labor this is a labor a labor and delivery a vaginal delivery and then it's pulling to that drg you know complicated complex vaginal delivery or c-section and that in that regards and then it's pulling that price um but sometimes a patient wants to run both or they end up running both and making sure that that gets stamped into my chart is accurate so that they can see that. And then I think the portion that we still all have to figure out is how do we go and grab what the patient's running to just do some confirmations to even see are our templates pulling the right items and accuracy. And that the part of the team that we haven't talked yeah. about being on there is your expected reimbursement team. So whether that's in-house or out of house, but having them do some verification to say, hey, are we expecting, is that when we're building out these estimates, are they calculating out what is our contracted expected terms? Um, and those are usually, uh, you see a lot of organizations using third-party vendors to help with expected reimbursement um, reviews versus in-house. So, and they become more of your contract experts as well, based off your your rates, even if you're a net down in Epic organization. To comment on the, on the patient-friendly names, I, as part of some of the projects I've been a part of, I would go out and shop various, um, you know, healthcare system, you know, shoppable estimates and everything. And there were a couple I came across, like, you know, I'm trying to uh, get a estimate, but the the one the name I'm selecting from is XR space right slash KN space one V uh, for and for those that don't know what the heck that means, that's X-ray right knee one view. Uh, it is just type the word out, you know, make it easy for the patient to understand what's in the else. So <laughs> that unfortunately does not even just apply just the estimates, just like the amount of patient facing materials. Like my, my, my wife went to an Epic shopping, like a 
an after visit summary. And just like, I was just like looking at all this stuff and I'm like, this is like all sorts of like epic jargon or like build <laughs> jargon, like yep. maybe, maybe doesn't need to be on here. Um, like, yep. uh, I, I wish there was a way to make this more streamlined, just, uh, make the, like the patient, like estimates have a nice feature where there is a patient friendly and then there's like the internal name. Um, take some time with that. I think it, it goes a long way. And if Absolutely. you have a patient experience group, leverage that as well. Take take your estimate names over to them and have those patient groups. And, and if you have that in place at your organization, it's a great opportunity for them to be involved and you're getting their feedback on what's going to be patient facing to them so that they can actually provide you real-time feedback. I've used marketing as well. Um, either way, yeah. Find somebody who doesn't understand revenue cycle to do the review. <laughs> <laughs> so this MRI I'm looking at, like what, what is, what, what how do I, <laughs> yeah. There's a CFO that I work with every day right now. And she, she reminds us all in meetings that if you use the term, does your mom understand it? And if you don't think your mom would understand it, then you need to spell it out. And that's hard for me because my mom's a nurse. So she understands a lot of our terms, but, but for the general person out there, I think it, it's definitely. Oh, I, I totally relate to that. I can't tell you how many family members reach out to me about, you know, different revenue insurance type things. So yeah, I completely relate to that. Well, we're at another quick break and we'll be right back. There are thousands of medical offices and facilities across America each navigating through changing regulations and reimbursement models while striving for positive patient experiences and outcomes. A common element in each of these facilities is patient access, the front line of both the revenue cycle and the patient experience. Though diverse in facility size and geography, patient access professionals unite around a common purpose, enhancing the overall patient experience to increase patient satisfaction and outcomes. Through it all, one organization is there to educate, connect, inform, and pave the way toward the future of patient access. The National Association of Healthcare Access Management recognizes the changing role of patient access professionals and their increased importance. And we're back. All right. Um, so I mean, we've, we've covered a lot here today. This is probably just the tip of the iceberg uh, as it relates to estimates. I'm I'm thinking about like uh, I'm a listener. I'm building a team. Tim, where do we fit into that picture? And like, what what do you want to leave our listeners with here? I think Wilshire as an organization can fit in um, at any part of your project. Um, we've got the expertise from both the operations perspective um, and and also the technical perspective. So if you're just getting started, but you feel that either a you don't have the bandwidth the resources or B, you're, you're, you're not as familiar as you probably need to be with, with estimates and the, the regulations and the laws surrounding estimates and why they're important, uh, bring us in, bring an operational person in and, and let us help you kind of structure that framework to make sure you're successful. Or if you're a little further down the road and, and you started the work group, but you're having some technical difficulties that you can't seem to figure out, you know, bring us in from that perspective too and start working through the technical bits with you and, and get that going. Um, We've got a very robust patient access team um, with Wilshire that that I love working with, I love collaborating with, and I think would be a very good fit for a number of organizations.
even just on our, then, on our little podcast here, we got, uh, we got like a whole squad here. We got, uh, eight, we got the contracts, go. we got the operational front end, we got the technical front end and Evan is kind of a smorgasbord of everything. So <laughs> yeah, smorgasbord, I guess that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so just, you know, we're, we've kind of spent two full episodes now this you know as we're in episode two here and and nearing the end of it um kind of what are the big recaps that we should be thinking of you know um in that regards like what do we want to leave everybody leaving with you know we have our product we we have our team and, and you know Matt and Tim have been working on a product offering around what we can do from a service advantage standpoint. But then, you know, if people are trying to do this in-house, like, what do we want to recap? Because I don't want to make them all go all the way back to the first episode. I kind of do, though. So where our listeners can mm-hmm. our listeners get up. But, but let's just recap where we were. Yeah. Um, you know, make sure you have a very comprehensive work group that, um, you know, includes not only your access team, but also representation from your evidence integrity, from your, your uh, contract management or managed care team, uh, your your charge entry team, typically that lives in the revenue integrity world, something like that. Um, make sure that you have a cadence of meetings with this um, that is more than just on an annual basis. Um, and you want to make sure that you're looking at, at different components. So if you're in the construction phase, you know, making sure that we have the, the appropriate build uh, in place to you know, grab the correct charge and then have the appropriate bill to make sure that we're looking at the correct contract and uh, making sure that, you know, you, everything is pulling in correctly from the real-time eligibility tool and how that feeds into the benefit collection bit. So having a very robust team there uh, that includes all those operational people I mentioned and a good representation from your ethic IT side is going to be key to success uh, in terms of making sure that you have uh, compliance from a regulatory perspective, make sure that you bring in the compliance team in a lot of cases, that you you truly understand uh, the requirements behind what tra- price transparency is and the surprise act and what the difference is between the two. Um, and then making sure that, that you're reacting accordingly, you know, for each one of those regulations going forward. And then from the accuracy perspective, making sure that you've got a work group or a way to track that accuracy, both within Epic to account for anything that's considered an outlier, uh, like in and a way to address that outlier, you know, going through and actually, you know, doing a root cause analysis to figure out what actually happened and then working to correct from there where you can. Um, and then making sure you count for any charge changes and updates. Um, I think we covered CPT sunsets, uh, like when, when they come out and say, we're not, we're no longer going to use the CPT, this procedure is going to fall into the CPT now, making sure you have a process around how to hopefully preemptively account for that. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of operational setup. It's a lot of work group time that you're going to have to do. But if you get a structure and a cadence and you stick to it, I think you can be very successful. Yeah, I think you can you can tell from what Tim described. It's got that trifecta of like very complex from a system perspective, very complex from an organizational perspective, complex from a regulatory perspective. I think that's what makes us a really good partner in this in this aspect. Even with the folks we have on the phone today, we we all bring that that expertise, and that's why I think Tim and I are very passionate about you know bringing this project and product to lots of our partners you know, that we're working with because it it checks all those boxes for something that 
can provide a huge amount of benefit is you know very hot topic you know with what, what we're dealing with today and you need someone to, to really guide you to make it successful yeah i think just to add you know the one part we haven't talked about as group is as your organizations also are launching new product or service offerings that this is part of that process and the go live of that process if you can get ahead of it as those codes are being set up or you know, new programs are being launched, make sure that, you know, you put it on your revenue cycle and your IS revenue cycle checklist as part of that integration build. Um, it, it tends to get missed until it's then needed um, downstream. So just, you know, putting that out there. Well, I think Daniel, normally we would go to the Wilshire lab at this point, but uh, we don't have any questions as of yet uh, for the, for this episode, so. Well, cool. yeah, we can we can uh, wrap up here. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Tim, for joining us uh, and for bringing your smiling faces here. This Friday afternoon is when we're recording. Um, <laughs> if uh, listeners want to reach out to you or engage with you on on uh, estimates and having you plugged in, uh, what's the best way for folks to contact you? Tim, we'll start with you. Yeah, so I've got a uh, Wilshire email, t.holland at the wilshiregroup.net. It's a great way to get a hold of me if you need anything. Also, have a LinkedIn profile you're happy to look up. Uh, Tim Holland uh, is, is what I have on there, and, and uh, I'm more than happy to help wherever I can. Yeah, same for me, um, m.parent at the wilshiregroup.net, or definitely hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I got a couple comments and notes from our last Vision Trees uh, podcast. I appreciate that, that that for all you that listen. So yeah, definitely hit me up on LinkedIn. Love to chat more about it. Nobody's ever reached out to me on LinkedIn. Has anybody ever reached out to you, Evan? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'll say no. <laughs> Shout out to Heath Hanwick from Epic for reaching out. I appreciate it. <laughs> We got to build up your celebrity profile there, <laughs> Daniel. Or maybe they've reached out to me. I just am not following close enough. Or maybe it was just, I thought it wasn't podcast related. But It could be also your, uh, doesn't LinkedIn, they have like your direct ones and then like you're hidden in the background and you have to be like logged in online. That's where I've seen some mm. of them. So, <laughs> all right. Well, everybody, that's it for us today. Uh, Check out the episode. If you missed episode one or you missed episode two, go check it out. Um, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. If you liked today's episode, continue to join Wilshire Wednesdays. You can follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Evan underscore Wilshire. Daniel can be followed at Daniel underscore TWG. Wilshire Group at TWG Health. On Facebook at the Wilshire Group or on Instagram at Wilshire IT Revcast. Remember, if you prefer to watch, come check us out at the Wilshire IT Revcast YouTube channel. If you have an inquiry, want to share your thoughts or get additional information on today's episode, email us at Wilshire Podcast at the Wilshire Group. The best way to support this podcast is to review, rate, and subscribe. See you next time. Bye-bye. The Wilshire IT Revcast is hosted, produced, and engineered by Evan Martin and Daniel Bianchini. It is executive produced by Gretchen Case, Hank Smither, and Spencer Thielman. The Wilshire Group, experience you can trust, results you can count on.